you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 320 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the popular bitrate episode of the SLS Cast because it turns out that a very popular bitrate, which, by the way, is the number of bits that are conveyed or processed per unit of time, just so happens to be 320. And with that wonderful little bit of popular bitrate knowledge, I have... Of course, I'm Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim. Hey, Tim. Matthew, how are you doing? How, I'm... how, how are you doing this post-Oscars ceremony Monday? Well, I mean, I'm not being dragged back to my seat after the best picture gets announced, but I am definitely in a state of post-Oscars angst. Overall, why, why, why so angsty? Because someone, uh, okay, so I have to work on in the evenings, and <laughs> so I was not able to watch the live cast nor the live stream because of working. I, though going in, I wished I could have because I wanted to support at least the live stream aspect, so they would do more of that. Uh, but then, uh, thankfully, I was spared from my anger and angst, at least for a while, and because someone else who may or may not be a co-host on this show was watching the, the telecast and sent me a form, a very nicely printed form, and a picture of where we were at in the Oscar ticking and, you know, it's okay that my dreams are crushed. It's okay. Because I knew going in that a lot of my picks, even though I wanted and expected, I knew that I was fighting for things that may not happen. Like Sam Elliott. I knew in my heart of hearts he wasn't going to get it. But I wanted him to. I expected because I believed that he should get it. So I knew I wasn't going to do so well this year. I knew that going in. Because I wanted to be able to wave my magic wand and have things my way. And we know that not everyone gets to be like Frank Sinatra. But I see this picture and I'm angered. I'm angered at things like f***ing Bohemian Rhapsody getting both sound editing and sound mixing. Are you f***ing serious right now? Are you f***ing serious right now? This is terrible. It's terrible. Terrible. We've well, got a lot of bleeping to do this episode. I'm so sorry. I will try and contain my bleeping frustrations here. But really and truly, I just, I was irritated beyond measure. I will, however, say that I was very glad that the upset of Best Picture occurred in such a manner that Green Book got it. I do not believe it is the best movie. I actually saw an article that, according to all of the top critics polling it uh, for 2018, it was the 32nd ranked film. And no film has scored so low that has won Best Picture since like 1989. Or maybe it was even 1986. So it's been a very long time since a movie like that has gotten it. I still think A Star is Born should have gotten Best Picture, but that's okay. At least it wasn't f***ing Bohemian Rhapsody or 
goddamn vice. And I could not believe, I could not believe that the fucking overweight Christian Bale wearing a goddamn toupee got the fucking best makeup. Sorry, I said I would help with the bleeping, and I'm not helping with the bleeping. I'm sorry. This might just be one long minute and a half bleep. I wish that I stuck to my guns in regards to the best actress win, because, of course, I caved. I caved in with Glenn Close after talking to you and listening to other people, and for the longest time, I was gung-ho about Olivia Coleman, and I knew she was going to be the one that was going to take it home, but I had yet to see the wife. And once I saw the wife, I still felt Olivia Coleman could have won. Then no, no, I caved and said Glenn Close. Oh, well. Hey, I don't, you know what? I, I think you can, you can kick yourself for as much as you want to kick yourself, but I, mean, I don't care. I don't think that believing in Glenn Close's performance over Olivia Coleman's was necessarily the bad bet. I am, I, I, I feel very warm hearted that she won. I don't necessarily think hers was the best, but I'm not hating on it. Moreover, her acceptance speech definitely gave me the warm and fuzzies. So I, you know, it made me a little bit more appreciative that she got it. And also, Rummy Malik's was pretty good too. Well, his speech was good. Well, something had better have been good because his performance sure as shit wasn't worth it. <laughs> He's coming on the show next week, right? Out good. I'll tell him. I'll tell him, dude. I'm sorry. You fucking robbed everybody else. Papillon was better. Well, okay. No, not that. That's not, you know. Well, actually, yeah, but that would have given him best supporting actor, not, not best actor. No, but seriously, I then went and saw today the very first thing Olivia Coleman ever did. After watching her acceptance speech, I was given, you know, the warm and fuzzies, and I was like, you know what? Uh, you know, maybe, maybe I'm allowing myself a little bit more rose colored glasses when it comes to the favorite, but I still think, I still think that Glenn Close should have won. That being said, I was like, well, let's take a look into her, a little bit of her work. And it turns out that I was actually able to watch the very first work that Olivia Coleman ever did. And it was back in like 2005, 2006. And it was a car commercial. She did a car commercial. And, you know, it was a very cute car commercial, too. It must have been earlier than 2005 because she was doing stuff with uh, Mitchell, with uh, the comedians. Yeah, this uh, was literally right at the time she started doing Mitchell and Webb. Okay, because that's 2000s. That's like 2000. Yeah, 2000. Oh, my gosh. All right, yeah. hang on. <laughs> That's it. We're going to YouTube, folks. We're taking a sidetrack here. This was not planned. Well, while Matt is taking his side internet search track, I did tally up our uh, our nominations, our choosings, our picks from last episode. And out of the 21 categories that we predicted or attempted to predict, Matthew, out of 21, you got six correct. <laughs> and I'll just leave it there. No, no, that's fine. Did you get like? Did you get like nineteen or something like that? Eleven out of twenty-one. Oh, okay. Well, so you did twice as good as me, but half as good as you should. <laughs> <laughs> the story of my life. <laughs> two thousand four. Two thousand four was the AA advert, the car commercial that she was in. Gotcha. But one thing that I wanted to bring up, and 
we're already a little bit into the show, so we don't have to go super in-depth, but I sent you a video earlier. Uh, it was a link via Yahoo, I believe, and it was after the Oscars ceremony when everybody who won has a chance to like go up in front of the press and talk about things, you know, thank those who they failed to think during their acceptance speech. For about nine and a half minutes, he's like faux, Spike Lee is faux drunkenly up there, kind of coming across pretentious. I don't know if you felt the same way or not. I can I can see why he's never gotten an acting Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, because you think he was faking being drunk. Oh, I absolutely Just so he can kind do. of get away I, with, with dodging do. some of those questions about Green Book. I believe that much of that drunkenness was affectation. And if you take a look at how long it took him to finish the air quotes sixth glass of champagne, perhaps even seven, because he did say, I've had six of these. So let's assume that I've had is six, and that's the air quotes seventh. Um, he spends seven of those nine minutes finishing off that champagne glass. And there's still just the tiniest little bit in the bottom of the glass when he's done. I mean, he's clearly fake sipping and stuff. I don't believe he was half as drunk as he was letting on. I don't know. Yeah, apparently he had a lot of issues with Green Book winning. Although the Driving Miss Daisy comment when he initially says it, that, that was pretty funny. He's like they just. Oh yeah, but the roles are reversed. Yeah, they just yeah. keep changing the positions. So <laughs> that was funny. You got to give him that one. Yeah, I, I suppose. I just think when when it comes to Spike Lee, there's somebody who is associated with taking a certain stance on something, and it seems like he constantly has he has to live up to it. But sometimes him living up to it, he has to go through these, like, theatrics in order to do so. And I've seen it in some of his movies, where some of his movies are just super, like, they hit you over the head with the various themes and whatnot that he's trying to preach to the audience. Because a lot of it is very preachy. I mean, you see it by the end of Black Klansmen, so... Sure. People kind of have an idea of what I'm talking about. He, but, he mentioned it know. specifically. He called out the coda to the film, which I thought was oddly placed to be sure but he he made he made another case for why it was there and it's his movie and he has every right to do it and more power to him i say yeah i mean people loved it so what am i to say or who am i to say who or what strictly speaking we're the audience and speaking of audiences they probably want us to move on and and get away run far away from all this academy awards talk all right, so we do have a copycat throwdown for you this week and a little bit something different to get away from the news because we've been doing a lot of news lately. So I think let's get to that copycat throwdown. It's, it's the, the copy, copy, copycat cat throwdown. throwdown. That's right. It's the copycat throwdown. Well, that's right. It's the copycat throwdown. Stop it. Stop 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 it. No, no, seriously. Stop it. Oh, right. Like, stop repeating? Stop repeating. Right. Oh, uh, okay. I'm going to kick your ass. ass. 
Throwdown time. Yes, so our copycat throwdown, we've got 2019's Cold Pursuit versus In Order of Disappearance from 2014. Or if you want to do them in chronological order, you could flip them around. Either way, it is a black comedy action film. Black, well... Yeah, black comedy action film, either way you want to say it. Uh, and it is directed by Hans Petter Molen. Both of them, because the In Order of Disappearance from 2014 is his original Norwegian take, and The Cold Pursuit from 2019 is the American remake of this film. So think of this as Molen's own El Mariachi versus Desperado, right? With Robert Rodriguez from all those years ago. And that is pretty much what you have. So basically what we are dealing with is a snowplow driver who's just become the citizen of the year, right? He's the, 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 the man of the town, key to the city. And in the Norwegian version, he's, his name is Nils Dickman. And in the, um, American version, his name is Nelson Coxman. Both very unfortunate last names. <laughs> I am fairly certain that you could have just left Dickman alone either way. But, yeah, I I mean, they had to go with what they had to go with. Poor snowplow driver guy. Again, these plots are literally identical. Poor snowplow driver guy loses his son to a drug overdose, a heroin drug overdose. Basically, the wife is kind of like, you know, can't handle it, ultimately leaves. And here's poor snowplow driver guy about ready to kill himself because it just doesn't make sense. He's lost his family. He's lost his son. And there's like his son never did drugs. He doesn't understand. Police are investigating. He's about ready to end it all. When someone tells him, yeah, your son was murdered by the local cartel because they were trying to kill me. Oh. And so now Snowplow Driver goes on a Justice Boner-fueled rampage. And this Justice Boner-fueled rampage is kind of akin, if you will, very, very lightly akin to John Wick. Because now he's got all these people working against each other to try and solve the problem of why are our people dying? And shenanigans ensue. Both films carry out uh, in virtually the same way. Small little differences here and there. But this is the movie. I'm very honored to be named Kehoe Citizen of the Year. I'm just a guy who keeps a strip of civilization open. When you drive the same road day after day, it's easy to think about the road not taken. I was lucky. I picked a good road early, and I stayed on it. Mr. Coxman? What can I do for you? It's about your son. He died of a heroin overdose. We didn't know our own son. Kyle wasn't a druggie. Sorry, but all the parents say that. You're gonna have to say a few words. Kyle's dead. Tell me what happened. He got mixed up with some drug dealer. Viking. He likes hurting people. What is it with all these nicknames? Speedo, Viking, Eskimo. It's a gangster thing. Did you have a nickname? Wingman. Wingman. Gonna kill him. No, those guys. One guy can disappear. Two? Who wants me dead? 
Three of Vikings drug dealers have disappeared. What makes you think you can kill a man? I read it in a crime novel. What are you doing? My job. This doesn't happen in Keogh. It just did. Nels Coxman, Citizen of the Year. Good for him. Will Snowplow Driver Guy get his revenge? Will Snowplow Driver Guy make it out alive? Well, follow the adventures of Dickman and Coxman and find out. Keep up with Dick and Cox. See what happens. There's a very funny Simpsons Mr. Plow joke in there somewhere. Yeah, Homer and Barney. How do we do this? Write to us at the show. (laughs) (laughs) Write to us at the show at slscast.com. Tell us how we can get the Homer and Barney Plow, Mr. Plowman episode in here somehow, some way. That'd be great. Now, Tim, what do you think here? I mean, we both, I mean, I don't, I guess I don't necessarily want to give it all away, but I was definitely a bigger fan of In Order of Disappearance. I Now, we did watch them in reverse order. I, I watched In Order of Disappearance before I went and saw Cold Pursuit. You saw Cold Pursuit first. Yes. And you liked the more subdued version that In Order of Disappearance gives you. And and I definitely see for me, because the American version followed it so closely, I just felt like the more fun original idea was was found in the kernel of the of the soul of In Order of Disappearance. I I don't have anything. I don't. I didn't find anything wrong with the American version being as over the top as it was because I think I, I think despite its black comedy aspect, I think it was trying to really amp up the action where it was possible, and I think that's what they succeeded with this one. So I think the American one is fun, but. I like you. I like the slower burn of the Norwegian version. I just think that um, it's understated, which is which is something that not which is something that is smart in a in an action film when you're tying it into black comedy. I don't know. What what, what are your thoughts, sir? Well, they're both slow burn movies. It's just one of them is weird is <laughs> is weirder than the other one. I saw Cold Pursuit first, like what Matt was saying. I saw it with a very confused audience. People were very vocal during this movie. A lot of folk were not sure what was going on. They weren't sure if they were supposed to laugh or leave the theater. It was just a strange experience for them. Cold Pursuit just kind of came across as if, like, the more bizarre story elements that were left on the writing room floor during the writing process of An Order of Disappearance were picked up and used in Cold Pursuit. There's a lot of very strange things that don't really happen in the uh, in the original film. For example, in Cold Pursuit, the two gangs or the two families that are kind of fighting against each other, one of them is like that Colorado douchebag, young tech billionaire guy versus the Colorado Native Americans. And... Some of the jokes that are kind of thrown around are super, super dated because they're so ins... I mean, I don't know if insensitive is the correct word to say, but they're just so obvious. Like the kind of Indian jokes that the the main douchebag villain says, you know, just don't... They don't make a whole lot of sense. But then the Native Americans turn around and find really weird overcoming joy standing 
on the side of a snowy hill while they're at that fancy ski resort. It felt like it was like five or six minutes. They're just sitting there or they're just standing there playing in snow. Grown Native American men, men in like their 40s, 50s and 60s, screaming, yelling, smiling, being happy. And for one thing, you're not really too sure why they're at that bougie, nice establishment to begin with, let alone on the side of that slope. You know, let me jump in here. So this is where I thought the big budget American aspect came in. I think we are probably looking at this through eyes of, shall we say, younger people. I mean, if you think about how old Liam Neeson is and you think about the people who are in this movie, Laura Dern, uh, William Forsyth, right? I mean, you've got some older people. Shall we say? Not, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I mean, we are kind of seriously approaching the AARP crowd. And a lot of those jokes are going to land square in their lap and they're going to like them. I think for us, we're supposed to be appreciating the irony of it all, right? Native Americans playing in the snow as a joke because they're at a freaking ski resort in Colorado. And they're from Colorado too. Again. So here they are, big, rich, touristy trap, and then they're playing like kids, but also in nature, like the indigenous people will, which in and of itself is supposed to be its own joke. Now, I'm not saying that it's coming across well, but I think that if we reached up to maybe our dads and had them look at it, they might think it was a little funnier, especially the kind of lame jokes that were made at the... Indians expense. And it's not just jokes at the Indian, the Native Americans expense. They're all over the place. And most of them are provided by the villain of Cold Pursuit, who's very much the same villain in uh, at least the character is the same, not necessarily the actions of the character. They're, the actions of the character are definitely not the same, but they're the same type of character in both films. In Cold Pursuit, his name is Trevor Viking, and then in, in Order of Disappearance, it's Grevin. But Trevor, the villain in Cold Pursuit, is like so way over the top, you know? And when you have like a rambling psychopath who is just super insensitive, who just throws out these curveball like jokes and observations from way out in left field, these ramblings are played more for laughs than menace, which makes for a person not to be feared, regardless of his violent capabilities. And he is very violent. I mean, he'll kill somebody if they just continue annoying them and they don't change. You know, he'll give somebody a little bit of a chance, but if they don't conform, he'll shoot them. Grevin, the main villain bad guy in in Order of Disappearance, is played wide-eyed, and he's played straight. That alone really makes his actions and his beliefs ridiculous, which is more, I think, organically funnier than outright playing that crazy psychopath that just doesn't have a filter. And because he has so much money and, you know, because he's a tech guy or whatever the heck he was, he is an entrepreneur, you know, nobody can touch him because he has so much money and he can just say whatever he wants and get away with it. Sure. But there has to be something else there, you know, to raise the stakes, you know, for you, the audience, to worry about the danger that Liam Neeson may find himself in. 
Both movies, though, are very much the same in visual style, in its tone, and pretty much overall execution. Cold Pursuit plays the visual in the reactionary comedy up a bit more as Disappearance leans more into the ridiculousness of a situation. Liam Neeson is in Cold Pursuit, and Stellan Skarsgård is in In Order of Disappearance, and both play their characters in kind of the same, like, reserved and sporadically violent way. But I don't know how you felt about both of their portrayals, if you liked one more than the other, but I thought that Neeson plays up the comedy more, whereas Skarsgård, very much like the Grevin villain character, is more grounded. I can see that. The jokes play better with Neeson. For example, when he's like strangling the guy and he thinks he killed him and he stops oh. because he's like out of breath and suddenly the guy starts breathing again, gasping for air, and then Neeson just jumps back on him and kill like little things like that are very funny. And yet, here you are laughing at a murder. And again, this is one of those things that, that I think both of these movies to a certain extent do well. And that is they pull the Marvin card. And if I remember, right, this Marvin from Pulp Fiction. Pretty sure I've told this story before, and I apologize if I have, but we've been doing this for a while, and I don't remember. <laughs> My dad said that he had to kind of check himself after he watched Pulp Fiction because here he was watching Pulp Fiction, and Marvin's like, man, I don't even have an opinion. And there's uh, Jules and uh, Vincent sitting in the back, and all of a sudden, you know, but yeah, but you gotta have you gotta have an opinion about this thing, and then boom, and his head explodes in the back of the car. Now my dad starts busting out laughing. I did too. I thought it was funny because the humor just hits you, and yet you literally just watched some poor guy get his head blown off, and you laughed. And this is the same kind of scenario. You're literally watching someone. You, your brain is simultaneously processing the horror of having to physically strangle someone for three to five minutes to actually kill them. And then this guy screwing it up. That, that's really quite brilliant in the world of black comedy cinema, cinema, if you think about it. So. I don't know, I think it's doing a good job. I think it does a good job of being effective in that regard. Yeah, I just felt it didn't, like, stick the landing 100%. And it's it's inconsistent. That's a word that I was trying to think of earlier. Like, a lot of the black comedy and certain kind of avenues they were trying to go down, just, it was very, just very, just very inconsistent. I, I just really don't know. I don't know what else to <laughs> to no, say. I, I mean, I agree. You- I agree. I mean, I think there's an understated brilliance to an order of disappearance that is given because. But even the jokes, even the black comedy in in order of disappearance, because it is a Swedish film, they don't. A lot of the jokes in that movie don't really stick that much either. Like especially the same scene when Stellan Skarsgård is choking the guy, he stops. And then the guy breathes again and he jumps back on him. It plays totally different. It's like he's playing it not for laughs, but it takes that very demented person to go, okay, that's kind of funny that he had to do that. But you had to like process that in your own head to point out that it was funny, not necessarily like you were laughing at it or made you chuckle. 
So that's the difference between these two movies. It's like if Disappearance was able to take some of that outright comedy from Cold Pursuit, I thought Disappearance would have been a black comedy masterpiece. But I also read that apparently Swedish folk, they absolutely loved disappearance they thought it was hysterical so it could be i I don't know like a language a comedy cultural barrier of some sort but at the end of the day where do you land well do you think it justifies a remake other than how the comedy and the action is executed you know it's more for like an american audience it's i think very much the same movie i i think yes because I, I I mean, it's sad that we live in this world where people don't appreciate foreign films as much as they should. But given the cultural barrier that is that you're trying to overcome, yeah, I think that in this particular instance, it probably needed the remake. Although, personally, I preferred the Norwegian one better. And I don't know necessarily if I would have fully appreciated the Norwegian one more had I seen it in the order that you did, Tim. But, mm-hmm. you know, we can't, we can't undo what we've done. And the American one was literally so by the numbers, the exact same film, uh, with certain tweaks aside, obviously, um, that it made the, it made the other one more understated for me and a better, I don't know, a better showcase for what the story was. So I, I don't know. I lean towards an order of a disappearance, but I mean, I don't think people would have necessarily a terrible time with Cold Pursuit, but if you're willing, so either. if you're willing yeah. to give foreign films a chance, I would definitely go in order of disappearance. And like I just said, I thought there were just too many similarities that don't justify a remake. Cause not only is the story dialogue and the setting virtually the same, I mean, the remote Swedish snow town used in disappearance easily could have been redressed and used in cold pursuit as a remote Colorado snow town. I mean, even when you look at downtown Denver or wherever the big city was, it looked exactly the same as downtown, you know, city in Sweden, you know, but pursuit <laughs> like they reused the same shots, story beats costumes even props like the blank letter from his life from his life blank letter from his wife is the exact same letter from disappearance you know the character death descriptions used throughout are the same and even like the end credits are pretty identical and i think i go back to david fincher's the girl with the dragon tattoo remake he took a swedish film and books David Fincher did, but he remade it for more of a global audience. And he made the film in his very twisted, uncomfortable, uh, heavy metal vision. Therefore, the movie is something unique and different from the Swedish movies, as well different from the book. I mean, it's the same story. You know, a lot of it is same dialogue, same characters, but it has a different vision. So... I just really think that maybe if they were going to make this movie five years after the original, they should have gotten a totally different creative team. Or the director, Hans Peter Moland, he should have just waited another 20 years. Wait 20 years and remake it in Americanized version. It was just too similar. I would have loved to have seen somebody else helm the flick. Even if it was a different Swedish director, I just would have liked somebody else to do it. I enjoyed it, but a missed opportunity. I suppose. So I'm definitely going with Disappearance for this copycat throwdown. 
Very cool, very cool. All right, well, that brings us to the end of the Copycat Throwdown. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to have a very special Discussions with Matt and Tim. Uh, we have been invited to do a very special screening of a film called What Doesn't Kill Us. I would encourage you to head on over to YouTube and check that out there. You can watch the trailer over at YouTube. It is actually a zombie mockumentary, and I really hope that you will uh, at least check that out because we're going to be covering that and talking about it and having a special discussion about this film. The directors of the film actually reached out to us and have personally asked us to do that. They're trying to build up some momentum to get into the festival circuit, and we are looking very much forward to helping them do that. So that will be our bonus segment for next week. And without further ado, I guess it is going to be time for the movies, is it not, sir? That is correct. (laughs) All right, folks. Here we go. It's the movie. And this week's movies are The Lego Movie 2, The Second Part, and Alita Battle Angel. So, Tim, where are we starting, dude? How about The Lego Movie 2, The Second Part? (laughs) Sounds like a plan. Once, everything was awesome. Now, everything is bleak. Hey, Lucy, I brought you coffee. Coffee. The bitter liquid that provides the only semblance of pleasure left in these dark times. Oh my goshness, did I interrupt you brooding just now? Times have changed. You need to change with them. We have to be tough and battle ready. Look, a shooting star, make a wish! (gasps) Oh no. Run! Hurry, the door is slowly closing! (laughs) Oh, the pain. It's getting so cold. Emmett, what are you doing? Hooray! See, that wasn't so bad. Nothing got in. Ah! Something got in. I'm General Mayhem. Bring me your dearest leader. Lucy! Emmett! This is all my fault. Hang on to your fronds, Planny. We're going to save Lucy. You tell me to smash! Asteroid! You mind if I save your life? Not at all. Who are you? The name's Rex Danger Vet. Galaxy defending archaeologist, cowboy, and raptor trainer. <laughs> I don't get it. Will you help me rescue my friends? You don't want to go anywhere near the Sistar system. It's ruled by an alien queen. Only the toughest are going to get out of there alive. Who's a good boy? Yes, you are. I'm a queen, whatever I would not be. I'm getting super evil vibes here. I could change my form to something else if this makes you more comfortable. Hey, guys. No, go back. The horse was much more palatable. Lucy! Emmett, did you draw stubble dots on your face? What? No. Who are you? I'm your worst nightmare. You're me when I'm late to school and I forgot my homework and my pants are made of pudding? No, I don't. All right. So we got a 2019 computer animated adventure comedy film. This is, of course, coming to us uh, via Warner Animation Group and, yeah, Warner Brothers, basically. And it is, of course, the sequel to 2014's The Lego Movie because they had, um, but but it's... 
even though it's the direct sequel to the Lego movie, it's actually the fourth film in the um, franchise be- between the Lego Batman movie and the Lego Ninjago movie. The Lego universe, I guess. Yeah, basically. The Lego cinematic universe, I guess, is where we're at now. And just to kind of refresh everybody uh, from back in 2014... Tim gave the Lego movie a 4.5. I was much less enthused and gave it a 2.75. Um, after having watched the Lego Batman movie, which we also covered for the show, we did not do the Ninjago movie though. And that was February of 2017. So I'm going to zip back down here. Okay. Where were you at? I was not a fan of the Batman one. I no, you weren't. I'm trying to find it though. Okay. We totally went the other way here. I gave Lego Batman movie a 4.5. You gave Lego Batman movie a 1.5. And we did not do the Ninjago movie. I was not interested in that. I don't even think I realized it was truly a Lego Cinematic Universe spinoff movie as as such. Um, and that brings us again to the Lego Movie 2, which is tied directly into the Lego Movie. And we're coming together five years after the previous adventure. And now that Bianca has started bringing the Legos in, we have the Duplo stuff, and now it's... That's the kid's sister, right? Correct. Yes, that's okay. a little kid's sister. Uh, so Finn was the boy from the first movie. Bianca's the young lady, uh, or the sister. These and are so, the kids who play younger, with the Legos. Correct. The actual okay. live action family. The and so yeah, the Duplo are the basically the, the the toddler version of Legos, and then we've got Bricksburg is now Apocalypseburg, and the, because of all the takeover stuff, um. Uh, yeah, so Emmett, of course, is trying to be Emmett as far as it goes. And then when all thing, everything starts going awry, uh, Lucy and a bunch of the other people end up getting kidnapped because of the Armageddon people who are trying to take over. Um, Emmett ends up tag teaming with this guy named Rex Danger Vest, uh, <laughs> who is going to help Emmett save uh, save Lucy, and then they can hopefully build their dream house together, yada, yada, yada. And, and then, of course, as always, shenanigans ensue. Now, I, th- I I guess maybe it just took me appreciating what the Lego Batman movie did for the Lego universe. Um, maybe it's because they did such a good job of, like, including Will Arnett in this one that I, I was... I liked this one more. Guys and gals... I liked this one more. I thought it was a lot more fun. I think they definitely were reaching into getting, um, into trying to make the, the Lego world make sense and build on what they had done before, but recognize that they've now kind of got a universe going. And I think they kind of made a better, more cohesive story. What I, that was kind of the thing that was, like they were trying so hard to do world building in the first movie that I just kind of felt like, ugh, it's obvious you're trying so hard. Here, they have, I think, successfully made it a, a true universe, if you will. And, and then of course, you know, because it's blending with reality, that they've done a good job of making everything this version of their reality for both live action and for Emmett and the gang. Uh, 
But it still ultimately suffers from the same fate as the Lego movie where it's even though it's better written and even though the world building is I think better overall I still think that they're just really trying to show Legos in this fantasy setting in a way that is not necessarily disingenuous, but just not the way kids really interact with it. And that's not to say that kids can't imagine things this way and that with CGI and computer animation on the whole, being able to present things in such a way that it's going to influence the way kids play, because I'm sure that it will. But it's, I don't know, it's just not... I don't, I still don't think it's exactly where it should be. That being said, this one I feel is miles better than the other one. And by miles, I mean 3.5. I actually like this one. I think it's decent. I think it's good. I think you'll have fun. I think the kids will absolutely enjoy it. And while it's definitely a come down for me from Lego Batman, it is clearly a step up from the Lego movie. And Tim, where are you at? I'm hoping this is better than a 1.5 for you, and I'm sincerely <laughs> hoping it is not a 4.5 again. It is not a 4.5, and it is not a 1.5. In fact, it is a 3.5 out of 5. I saw this back before Valentine's Day, so it's been a couple weeks, and I'm trying so hard to remember anything from this movie other than the rating that I put in my movie record dealio that I have here. And the only thing I can think of on the, off the top of my head is a song that I remember they sing. Am I correct in remembering a song what? of some Everything sort? Everything is awesome? Like this song will get stuck in your head. Oh, yeah. Catchy song. Yeah. There were little bitty morsels like that throughout the film that I couldn't help but to smile and enjoy. It's a enjoyable movie. I think more so for kids than it is for adults. There is some pretty good adult humor in it, especially when it pertains to Chris Pratt and all the different franchises that he has his hands in. So there are these little touches and jokes that are just charming and just fun to experience. And so I give it a 3.5 out of 5. I do hope they do something completely different for the third movie, because I think including the real-life people, the live-action mm-hmm. kids, that is just a little hammy. I'm glad they kept Will Ferrell. I think he's on the toilet for most of the movie, yelling from the bathroom, it sounds like. That was a nice little touch as well. And Maya Rudolph plays the mom, and right. Maya Rudolph is always fun to watch. So 3.5 out of 5... You either enjoy it or you don't. That's right. And it only took five years, four movies, and three reviews for Matt and Tim to agree on anything about Lego. (laughs) 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 But it's a 3.5 across the board. All right. And then last but not least, or maybe it will be because we haven't reviewed it yet. I don't know. Here is Alita Battle Angel. Does it bother you that I'm not completely human? You are the most human person I have ever met. Didn't I tell you to be home before dark? I just lost track of time. Alita, 
They have to be responsible. For someone very special. Hey, kid. Not just a teenage girl. Hey, what's your problem? You can't remember. What do you mean? Doc found you in the scrapyard. So you must be from up there. And I'm just an insignificant girl. That's what they want you to think. I'm not your daughter. I don't know what I am. I do. You have the most advanced weapon ever. But that's just a shell. It's not bad or good. That part's up to you. I do not stand by in the presence of evil. She's threatening the natural order of things. Tonight is not a game. It is a hunt. I need you to destroy a girl called Alita. You made the biggest mistake of your life. And what's that? underestimating who I am. Alright, we got a 2019 American cyberpunk action film based on a 1990s Japanese manga, and it is called Gunnam, uh, G-U-N-N-M, also known, however, as Battle Angel Alita, and the manga is by Yukito Kishiro. This movie is directed by Robert Re- uh, Rodriguez, but the film is written by James Cameron and Leada Calogiris, uh, or Caligiris, Caligiris, I can't say it. I'm usually good at this stuff. I'm sorry. I apologize for butchering that all up. Uh, it's also produced by John Lundell and James Cameron. Film stars Rosa Salazar, Christoph Waltz, Jennifer Connelly, Mahershala Ali, Ed Scrain, Jackie Earl Haley, and Keenan. I'm sorry, Kean Johnson. What we have now is the year is 2563. A catastrophic war known as the Fall, aka the Great War, has left Earth devastated. And this is actually taking place specifically 300 years after the Great, uh, after the Fall. We have one city left. It's kind of like this Mortal Engines shit, um, but instead of the city being one giant moving vehicle, it's just this one special hovering city. And everybody else came in. Uh, poor Christoph Waltz is pulling a Wally and looking through the trash. And he comes and he's looking for like cyborg parts, I guess, and android parts and what have you. When he comes across the remains of an android, but the brain is still functioning. And so he resuscitates it and it's this youngish girl who has amnesia. And he decides to name her Alita after his daughter, which they will explain later. Alita has to figure out who she is and why she is and where she comes from, um, which she does with wide-eyed wonder and meeting her very quickly introduced love interest. And then, uh, you know, shenanigans ensue, right? Um, okay. So there's, believe it or not, there, there, there's some really cool stuff to, to talk about with this movie. Now, I was giving, uh, Tim some choices because I thought there was some really cool stuff you could play with with this movie. For example, um, I'm willing to give this, it's, it's only February 25th as we record this. I'm, I'm actually willing to give this movie the best use of the F word in a PG-13 movie for 2019. I thought it was very well placed, very well used, and definitely 
not your normal F-bomb in a PG-13 movie. Because you, naturally, you only get the one. It was effective. You know, they didn't just throw it away, which is kind of nice. I really, and that is why, because it was not thrown away in any way, shape, or form. I thought it was very well placed. On the other side of this, if you'll remember that James Cameron uh, helped produce this, he's got part of screenplay action, and maybe, maybe you haven't seen this movie, maybe you've only seen a trailer, and you'll be like, wow, there's an awful lot of CG here. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the beta test for the Avatar 2 special effects. Um, and sure... This is this is what we're going to get. Quite frankly, I just want them to go ahead and go all the way. We need to just just go ahead and forget any kind of realistic people in any of these movies or the meat bags as they say as the androids and the cyborgs call the humans. And just lean into all the CG. I think that we can do that because as much as I think the special effects did its job, and I did see this movie in 3D. I did not do the IMAX 3D. I just did regular 3D. Um, I mean, it works. It's well, but there's a lot of uncanny valley situations going on. And they, and I think they do that to a certain extent to really just keep it in the back of your mind that Alita is an android. It doesn't matter that she's humanoid based. She's still an android. Um, but when they combine it with real humans, it doesn't accentuate that in a good way. And it more, and it basically breaks the illusion that the movie's trying to set up. And if they're going to continue to do this stuff in the Avatar movies, then I don't think it's going to work as well as they want it to. I would like for just everybody to be wearing the suits and everybody to be coming in it because I think it will make it a lot easier for people to buy into the CGI special effects because it then makes it so that you have total buy-in and believability and suspension of disbelief where necessary. For example, there's a scene where Alita goes underwater and has to go find her true self um, because, well, it's part of the movie and I don't want to give it away. And in this scene, she's broken away from all human contact because they can't hold their breath for that long. So she gets underwater and from then on, the rest of the scene, she it's it's all CGI. And it looks great. And it's got wonderful differences and differentiations between her, the nature, between her, this spaceship, this craft, everything that's going on inside. And everything has its own layer, and you can totally buy into it. So I wish they would just do more of that and quit with the, oh, but it looks so real against a human. It doesn't. It doesn't. But... Even still, there's a lot going on that's really good in the special effects. I think that the, that the core of the story itself um, was also a fun way to tell this young adult manga tale. Um, it's just that it's hurt a lot by its utter predictability. It is 100% predictable. You can see everything coming a mile away, but they wrap it in a veneer that, despite it being post-apocalyptic, despite it being cyberpunk is its own fun way of something that you haven't quite seen it this way before. And it's because it's based on the manga from the 90s. It's also been in development as early as 2000. So we're kind of seeing stuff that has already bled into other projects, other movies, both good and bad, in the last 20 years. And that's not the fault of this. So 
all in, despite its failings, despite its thing, it's actually still a very fun movie that I liked a lot, but I can't quite give it a really liked it rating. So I've been trying to lean in to the non-quarter star ratings as best as I can, but I've got to break my rule for this one, uh, inspired by Tim, strictly speaking, inspired by Tim. Um, it also makes the math easier when you're trying to average out the scores. <laughs> but I, I really and truly, I can't quite give it a four, but I didn't want to just leave it at a regular middling liked it as well. So I'm giving this one a 3.75 out of five. It's got a lot of really cool stuff going for it. Like I said, I think the beta test works. Um, and there's a really cool veneer to the story at heart, but it is really, really predictable. And they, they just pretty much need to take the human element out of it and just go full CGI. So what do you got there, Tim? Well, I guess technically I probably should rate it 3.75 because I went and saw it twice. The first time I saw it was opening night and I did IMAX 3D. I think I enjoyed one or two many herbal cigarettes beforehand and I was left confused. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I gave it a three and a half. So I thought, I got to do this movie right. I like Robert Rodriguez. I like James Cameron. And I really like what they did with this film. I've been excited to see it. I want to give it my full undivided attention. So I went and saw it again in Dolby, and I gave it a four out of five. And so I'm sticking with four out of five. The first time I saw it, I think I was just focusing on certain things a little too much. Um, one of those things was the relationship. I don't know if you felt the same way or not, Matt, but I thought that the relationship was hooky between Alita and Herb or Harv. Herbert, whatever his name was, Hugo, the guy character. Hugo, Hugo, yeah. There you go, that H. And I couldn't figure out, like, was he miscast? Was it the screenplay? So I kind of settled on the first time I saw it that he was miscast. So I saw it again, and I was paying more attention to it, and the poor guy gives it his all. I can tell you right now, everybody gives it their all. And unless they're just a straight-up CGI character, or mostly CGI character, like most of the robots... You could see a lot of these actors struggling with some of these lines. So I landed on the fact that the dialogue was just poorly written. It is said that James Cameron wrote the script over the course of a single weekend, and it seems like nobody decided to do one or two more passes after that single weekend, even if they just spent one additional weekend rewriting part of the script, or at least the dialogue... I think it would have been 50% better. It also has got to say something when you have dazzling special effects, a really strong character, a very strong character in Alita, where you're still affected by her story and by her performance. Even the romance, like all the drama that happens within that, with the beautiful music, the beautiful score, you know, you're still affected by it, even when... The dialogue is just god-awful. You know, you can't help but to think, what if somebody did at least one more pass on the dialogue? Four out of five. Go and check it out in Dolby or IMAX. Either or, you should be set. Fair enough. All right, that brings us to the end of the movies. Uh, next week's movies are going to be Isn't It Romantic? Apollo 11 and How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. And without further ado, I believe it's now down to the spiel, is it not, sir? Spiel on! Oh, stewardess, I speak jive. Oh, good. He said, 
that he's in great pain and he wants to know if you can help him. All right. Would you tell him to just relax and I'll be back as soon as I can with some medicine? Just hang loose, blood. She's gonna catch up on the rebound on the med side. What it is, big mama? My mama raised no dummies. I duck her rap. Got me some slack, Jack. Chomp don't want to help. Chomp don't get the help. Say can't hang, say seven up. Jive ass dude don't got no brains in here. Right, well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been purchased by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at Reverberation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we have, of course, the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLScast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLScast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLScast. You can follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at NetTwit12345. You can, of course, come aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio, as well as track us down in the old SoundCloud and other podcast directories. If you'd like to support us on the show please head on over to patreon.com and check us out there and as for me this is matt and thanks to rosa salazar i get to say this i was just that kid in the family that you put on the table and watch it dance around and you're like oh look at that hyper kid take care cinephiles and we'll talk at you again next week Madam, perhaps we should be going oh well, monsieur thank you so much so nice to see you and I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening.